From Square Two, this is What's Wrong With Revenue. I'm Mike Lieberman, CEO at Square Two, and along with my longtime friend, Eric Kalis, and co-founder at Square Two and six-time entrepreneur, Eric and I will answer the question CEOs have every single day, what's wrong with revenue? You can be part of the Livecast show where we'll answer your questions every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Eastern, or catch the show on demand on YouTube and on all your favorite podcast networks. Also check out all our audio and video content on Square2 Plus at the square2marketing.com website. Enjoy the show. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 46 of What's Wrong With Revenue. I'm Mike Lieberman, CEO of Square Two, joined by my longtime friend and CMO, entrepreneur in residence, Eric Kalis. Hey Eric, say hi. Well, hello. Today we're going to be talking about how your content strategy isn't connected to your prospect's buyer journey. There's really so many places where we need to connect content to the buyer journey. We're going to have a very rich conversation about what that means today and to kick off, let me do my normal housekeeping list of items. You can check out the show on our YouTube channel. Square Two Marketing has a YouTube channel. All of what's wrong with revenue are posted there. You can take all our episodes. You can subscribe to it. You can like it. You can leave comments. We really appreciate the likes and comments. So check us out there if you're interested in a rich collection of audio and video content, head on over to square2marketing.com, square2plus, our free Netflix-style streaming service where you can get all of our audio and video content in one place. There's channels for CEOs, CROs, CMOs. There's a technology channel with a bunch of HubSpot content in it. I think you'll really find it interesting. Um, if you're into the show specifically, at the bottom of our Square Two website, there's a link to What's Wrong With Revenue. You can submit questions. You can subscribe to the show specifically, and we'll even throw the show on your calendar so you can join Eric and me every Wednesday at four o'clock. Thanks, everybody, for joining. Let's get right into it. Today, people making B2B complex purchase decisions with high-ticket averages, they are executing an extremely long highly influenced, multi-stage, non-linear buyer journey. And that's why Eric and I created the Cyclonic Buyer Journey to help companies understand what each of those stages are, and more importantly, what to do in each of those stages. When you're talking about a new, highly complex, highly influenced buyer journey, your content needs to be perfectly aligned with each of those stages. You need to know what questions prospect are prospects are asking. You need to know how they're feeling. You need to know what other information they're digesting, what issues they have, what education they need, and exactly what it's going to take to make them feel safe so that they can progress to the next stage. It's no longer linear. People are getting tossed about in a very kind of, well, just to be honest, cyclonic kind of way. And content really becomes the mechanism to control that buyer journey and help your prospects progress through it more efficiently, which ultimately will produce more sales opportunities, a shorter sales cycle, and a higher close rate. So on the show today, we're going to talk about the cyclonic buyer journey a little bit. Show's not about that, so we'll just touch on it briefly. But we are going to talk about how to craft content and strategically design that content to deliver a really remarkable experience, how to leverage content to make marketing sales and customer service drive new revenue, 
We'll talk about different types of content and which ones are getting the best results today, and then how to deploy those different types of content at different stages in the buyer journey. So with that as a backdrop, Eric, kick us off, my man. What do you got to say about this content and the buyer journey process? Well, you know, I always come at it from a sales perspective. I have literally three to four, maybe five conversations a day with either entrepreneurs or chief marketing officers or VPs of marketing that are looking for some kind of help. And invariably, the conversation is tactical. So in the frame of today's conversation, a lot of people are like, we need more content. We need help with content. We need people to help us write content. Nobody understands us. Nobody can write in our voice and all that. And I'm like, okay, great. Well, tell me about your buyer's journey. And then there's crickets. Because even the most sophisticated buyer sometimes misses the big um, nut that everybody's going through some kind of journey in order to buy from your company. If I have an ice cream stand, okay, the buyer's journey might be 12 minutes, right? But in this case, we're talking about primarily B2B, long sales cycle, complex sale, and high ticket average. When you have those four criteria all together, the buyer's journey is anywhere from two weeks to two years. And in that case, content becomes the main driver in that um, experience. Now, I just want to take a little tangent here for a second and talk about how a lot of people talk about brand. I need a branding agency. I need a new brand. I'm combining two companies. We got to fix the brand. You know what? A lot of people don't really put uh, a lot of um, uh, uh, weight around your branding. They do these days put a lot of weight around the experience they have while buying from your company. And the second that that goes off the rails, not only are they telling everybody they know, but they might even be giving you some bad reviews online. I was researching an Airbnb a few days ago, right? What was I looking for, Mike? Not the 204.5 out of five reviews. I was sifting through for the two point, uh, sorry, the two out of five reviews, because those people obviously are the ones that are going to uncover some of the things that are bad with this Airbnb. And I think that's just human nature. If people don't have anything to go on, they're leaning into the bad because they want to protect themselves. They want to feel safe. Content is the antidote to that. If I'm giving you rich and exciting content about how my factory automation system can save you time and prevent down lines and drive down, uh, drive up your margins and, and drive down your uh, inefficiencies, that's an exciting story for someone who runs a factory. But if I'm not giving any content, they're thinking, well, this is super expensive. I'm not sure it's going to work. Uh, you know what? Let me just postpone this decision or not do this project at all. And that's where content really becomes the key ingredient in an excellent buyer's journey. Most of the time when people are buying stuff, they're not familiar with it. You know, it's like, I was just talking to someone who, who recently bought a house. I said, oh, how many houses have you bought in your lifetime? Well, this is the second one we bought. First one we lived in for 23 years and now we're buying a second one. You think they remember any of the detailed strategies or anything from 22 years ago? No. But if a realtor were smart, they're like, okay, we're going to start with how to pick the rest house. Then we're going to have a nice little video on how to negotiate the deal. Then we're going to say, why do I need a building inspector, right? Now you get the house. Now there's a whole bunch of paperwork that has to be done. Why do I need title insurance? What's the power of having a good attorney look over? All of these things are the questions and concerns I have as a home buyer that a smart realtor would give out well in advance of landing a client to show that they will guide them through the process effortlessly and the end result will be incredibly positive for your family. 
And I think that's what a lot of people miss is that they're like, yeah, content. Yeah, I, we did a white paper two years ago. Check the box as opposed to what content can we create this month that'll augment or enhance the, the experience that people have going through our marketing and sales process? Yep, I will 100% agree. I am constantly looking at the negative reviews. I want to know what those people, what their issues were. And sad to say it, I put a lot more weight on those negative reviews than I do on the positive reviews, which does is kind of a shame for the companies that have gotten all those positive reviews. But you know, you want to know what other people think. Also, I think uh, we talk a lot about random acts of marketing. We have talked about it before. and We talk to prospects and clients about it very frequently. I think when we do see companies executing random acts of marketing, it's because they didn't really take the time to map out the prospect buyer journey. So they have things that are kind of like flailing all over the place that are not really aligned with how their prospects are buying. So again, to your point, just creating content for the sake of content is not going to produce the kind of results most people are expecting. You really have to make sure that content is uh, well-tuned to the different stages of the cyclonic buyer journey and the specific questions and issues and challenges that your prospects are having. Yeah, I Let's, mean, I was talking to a prospect this morning that was complaining that they don't get enough sales from referrals, even though they had a very, very, let's call it referral marketing oriented business. So they really wanted more cross sales and upsells, right? More repeat customers. So the question was, how do you alert them that they should be buying again? Or what, you know, other options do they have? And the answer was none. So he said, well, you're paying a lot for paid advertising to get new customers. What if we rotated some of those funds into a very small project to just set up some nurtures around the time they should be thinking around getting that second purchase? That's a one and done project that will live on as an asset in your company to keep, keep reminding people. And hopefully you could drive down the uh, budget for the paid, which was very expensive. Well, that simple concept was like foreign and that's really the problem because random acts of marketing, right? Yeah, we'll do some paid. Let's get some white papers. We'll make some cute videos. Okay, those are all very important things. But if they're not orchestrated into the exact time that people are going through that experience at just the right this time, man, they're probably ready to start thinking about a reorder or a second purchase. Let's send them this nice set of content right now. Right. Well, if you don't think that through, Mike, then it's a huge missed opportunity. Right. Let's talk about the psychonic buyer journey just to give people a little bit of a schematic on maybe how to think about this differently. And like I said, I don't want the show to be about this because you can go to our website. There's a whole page on the psychonic buyer journey. You can really go deep in it. We have tons of articles and videos about this. Um, it's also in the book, Smash the Fun, that goes into this in a great degree of detail. But there are eight stages, and Eric just mentioned a very important and often overlooked stage, which is the delivery stage. It's actually the last stage in the buyer journey where you have to do a really great job with your uh, current customers and clients, exactly the way Eric explained, helping them make that ongoing purchase and keep their stocks full and introduce them to new things so that they continue to move your cycle around as fast as possible, telling everybody how great you are and how helpful you are and how you actually knew when it was time to reorder something, you made it super easy. You know, that is a delivery stage. It's a stage in the buyer journey that a lot of people miss. If you want to go all the way back to the beginning, 
Well, there are people out there right now who probably could use your products and services and don't even know you exist. Maybe you don't even know that these solutions are available. And we call that the pre-awareness stage. And there are plenty of people in this stage and they're not looking around and they don't know they have pain. And with the right kind of prompts and touches and content, you could basically get them thinking about something that they haven't been thinking about before. And that's a very specific set of campaign tactics usually associated with account-based marketing because those companies are like, yes, I know who I want to do business with and they don't know who I am. Those are the people we want to try to get in touch with. So, you know, as an example, that pre-awareness stage has a whole set of very strategic design tactics and touches that would go with it. The next stage, the awareness stage, is when people are, they know they have an issue. They might not be ready to do anything about it yet. They may only be casually looking they might uh, kind of notice something if it's related to a particular pain of theirs, but they're not active in their process to really get educated and smart about a particular issue. Sure, you want to go uh, have uh, something well, to add? I just wanted to make sure that our conversation looped back to content. So I was just going to give a quick example on pre-awareness content. Remember, we did that amazing pre-awareness campaign for our cybersecurity firm with the headline yeah. being, "You're all you've already been hacked and you yeah. don't know. Yeah. So that was like, a, like what, what's that all about, right? I don't yeah. know, uh, cybersecurity, uh, all of a sudden, there's this nice like white paper that shows that 88% of people have been compromised in some way. And this is some of the things you should be considering, right? Taking that from, I have no pain. I was not aware that I have this problem too. Maybe I should consider this. So that was just a good example. Yeah, it is. And the beauty of that particular campaign was you'd almost be negligent to ignore that because God forbid something happened and you didn't do anything about it proactively. Your whole job, the people we were going after, their whole job is to keep the company's network safe and you know their equipment safe and everything like that. So yeah, and the, the type of content for account-based marketing is a little different. It's very personalized. It's very targeted. Some of it is really tight, bite-sized, snackable chunks for social. And then some of it is larger, more digestible pieces when you get someone engaged and you know, they're now willing to have a more salesy conversation with you. So um, the awareness content is very high level, uh, typically, and lately we've been ungating it. So anyone who wants it can get it. Um, those people might not be ready to share contact information. And if you're gating everything, uh, you may be really limiting your access to people who could learn a little bit about what you do, drive a little, them a little closer to your company. Um, so you want to try to keep early buyer journey content ungated as much as possible. Um, after awareness, you're going to get into education. Those are people who are no longer aware, but proactive in their search for content. They're actually looking to learn more about this kind of thing. Again, here you might have some ungated and you might have some gated. I think it kind of depends on your particular industry and the type of content you're offering. Uh, but again, I don't think you want to go completely gated yet. Uh, you really want as many people who, is in, who are interested in your stuff as possible to get access to it. Uh, after people get educated, then they're going to start to consider some particular options, right? So, you know, just to use the agency selection process, because it's one that we're real intimate with, you know, when someone has a problem with lead gen, for example, the answer might be to hire someone, you know, the answer might be to, you um, add more sales reps, right? Uh, the answer might be to buy a big list from somebody. So, you know, when they're in that education stage, they're really getting all kinds of different ways to solve their problem. When they get to the consideration stage, 
they've more or less started to narrow down how they want to handle it. And in our case, they've decided maybe they want to hire an agency, right? So the evaluation stage, which comes next, is all about looking at the three to five agencies that they're considering. Um, and, and again, you're publishing a whole different set of content associated with that set of questions and those set of motions than you are during the awareness and the education stage. Also with, with uh, uh, evaluation, that's usually when sales gets involved because to do a real good evaluation, you might need to actually talk to somebody. And I know people today don't really want to talk to anybody. They want to really be self-service and online and digital as much as they possibly can. But ultimately, uh, they're going to get to a set of questions that need a salesperson. And that's usually where the transition from marketing to sales is, is during that evaluation stage. Now, you don't want to blow your experience by having a very aggressive sales team forcing themselves on a prospect. You want that sales experience to continue in the same exact way that marketing uh, experience was continuing. So you want it to be highly educational, very uh, advisory and guidant. In fact, the information that sales tips are sharing is a form of content in and of itself. Yes, they can download and read stuff, but the sales reps answers to their questions and the way the sales rep handles the prospect is also going to be a big part of that content um, delivery process. And you want to be um, very tight on, on how that information is getting delivered also. Slightly different uh, content also for sales versus marketing. 100%, right? And, you know, you don't want to be sending someone content that is outside of the context of their conversation, right? So if they're interested in a particular issue on what you do, you want to make sure you have content that's well aligned to that particular issue. Um, after evaluation, they're going to get into rationalization. They picked someone. I got to make sure this is exactly right. I don't want to get in trouble. And then they're going to get into their decision-making process. And that's all about like contracts and details and things like that. So each of these stages are very important in its own. There's marketing, there's sales, there's customer service. And that really has to be really well thought out. And the content has to really support that in a very educational way. The better you do that, the better you leverage that content, the better the experience, the easier it's going to be to generate leads, to turn those leads into sales opportunities, and ultimately close those sales opportunities into new customers. I've also seen it a hundred times before, like a piece of good content could move the needle, get someone to raise their hand faster, close a deal faster, right? Cut the sales cycle days. And you know, that's where a lot of people don't understand that if I answer questions, if I address concerns, if I discuss next steps, I'm educating people on what they should be doing next. They feel safe. They keep moving on. And I think that people that don't provide content, they're just, you know, kind of swimming upstream. Well, they're really leaning on, you know, an online brochure website and a salesperson. Like it's a very two-dimensional experience as opposed to the kind of experience we recommend and help clients with where it's multimedia and multidimensional and, you know, filled with cool experiences along the way. Um, one of the questions I want to ask or one of the topics I want to talk about is the different types of content that get the best results, right? So, you know, webinar is an example of a content, uh, is example of content. You're going to provide some educational information. It's early buyer journey. So you don't really know necessarily who's attending or where they are in that buyer journey, but they obviously showed up because they're interested in what you have to say and they want to learn a little bit more about your topic. Um, videos can be deployed 
all across the buyer journey. You have videos that can be used up front, kind of like what we're doing here. The videos we create with What's Wrong With Revenue are early buyer stage journey that introduce people to square two and how we think and educate them a little bit along the way and hopefully encourage them to want to learn more or talk to us. And we've talked a lot about uh, the reference reel video, which we use at the very end of the sales process to um, facilitate references and expedite the sales process and improve the close rate. There's an example of a, of a, a very late stage buyer journey uh, offer at both, both same types of format. So Literally, I would probably venture to say there's an unlimited number of different types of content. You have interactive content, you have polls, you have tip sheets, you have web, uh, um, white papers, ebooks, interactive tools, graders. I mean, some of the best types of content are the more interactive types of content that provide a lot of value to clients. Um, Eric, maybe you could talk a little bit about like, uh, you know, what we used to call... Um, uh, DBOs, like those late stage sales sessions that actually add value, but get the sales reps talking to the prospects. Yeah. So it's a different kind of content, you know, to put it in the con content context, it it's a live piece of content, right? So correct, correct. Uh, one that I've always enjoyed is give us 30 minutes and we'll give you three good ideas, right? On their side of the fence, the prospects looks like you're helping them with some brainstorming. On your side of the fence, it's the beginning of the sales conversation. But instead of saying, get a quote, talk to a salesperson, uh, get started now, which everybody recoils immediately because they know there's a sales thing on the other side of that, position it as, let me help you, let me help you, let me help you, right? We've had uh, a variety of different names for those kinds of meetings that are all like brainstorming or answer your questions. Even things like ask me anything sessions where people can log on and ask questions can lead into the sales conversation because if they're asking those questions and you have the solutions, that's something you might want to talk with them about. So, um, uh, uh, you know, three ideas in 30 minutes. Take the X company challenge is always a good one. Uh, let us stress test your insurance policy, right? Let's see if it matches up with current uh, you know, needs and trends. So those kinds of titles around your late stage offers go a long way, even though they're live content or on the fly content, they're still pretty important to prospects who have questions and concerns. They are. And it's one of the best ways to start generating more sales qualified leads, because I think there's really no question that uh, when we see, get a quote, talk to a sales rep, contact us, schedule a meeting, like everyone knows that you're about to even, even get a demo, right? Everyone knows that you're probably about to get a pretty, I'm not going to say high pressure, but you're about to enter into a sales experience, right? And most people aren't really too jazzed about talking to someone that they think is going to try to convince them. But when you do some of that positioning that Eric just mentioned, and every company can do this, you're adding, you're giving them something of value. So they are taking a, somewhat of a risk to schedule the 30 minutes or the hour to talk to you. And you might not be nice. They might not like you. You might ask them questions they don't know the answers to, but you might also give them a couple of really interesting nuggets that they can think about and some things that they can do better in their business. And for that, they're willing to risk the conversation. Um, and if executed well, you can find yourself talking to some pretty highly qualified prospects who have kind of volunteered to come out of the wilderness and, and speak to you. So 
you know, we've upgraded quite a number of late stage buyer journey offers for clients and it almost always produces really good results. Yeah, one of the ones that works for us really well is because we're a HubSpot shop is the 13 point HubSpot checkup. Hey, let us have access to your HubSpot and next day we'll give you a, a, an analysis of 13 different areas of your HubSpot tool, what you could do to improve it. All free of charge. People are blown away that we've taken so much time to show them what the issues are. Invariably, they're like, well, how much is it to get all these things fixed? It's a really great segue into working together. One of our clients was a concrete floor finisher and their big, the, their big late stage buyer journey offer was um, get a quote, you know, fill out a couple of questions on this form and we'll turn a quote around to you. And they weren't getting much traction on it. We turned that into send us a picture of your concrete floor and we will give you some suggestions on how to make it look, you know, more presentable. These were giant concrete floors at giant you know, big box stores and, and giant construction, uh, whatever, uh, warehouse facilities. So, you know, relatively easy to take a picture of your paint spots on your concrete floor, throw it in a form and fill, fill it out and, and get some ideas on how to fix it. That's much different than, you know, starting a whole quote, which I'm not ready to get a quote. I don't know if I even want to do business with you. It's like asking someone to marry you after you haven't even met them yet. So we use that analogy a lot, but it's very practically applied in this particular case. Yeah, uh, the whole thing is making people feel safe, you know, especially on big ticket purchases. If I'm going to redo the concrete floors in my 100,000 square foot warehouse, I got to pick the right person. If someone's like, shoot us your pictures, let me give you some free advice on how you can fix those up and maybe some new techniques that you might not even heard of. I'm like, yeah, I like these folks. They're okay. Look how they help me. 100%. Um, before we get into questions, so love what them. would you... Well, you love <laughs> what would we uh, what advice would you give prospects who are trying to decide, you know, what to deploy at different stages of the buyer journey? So we, we talked about a lot of different kinds, but how do they really know? Because I think this is what holds people up a lot. Like, what do we make our video about? What do we write about? What 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 should our offer be like? What, what would you say to someone who's kind of they're into content? They understand the buyer journey, but they just don't know how to pull it all together. Yeah, so it's incredibly strategic. We talk about how people jump over the strategy to go right to the tactics. So this is another example of being strategic. It all starts with a thorough understanding of your buyer, which we call the persona. And if you understand the persona, not only who the person is, but you want to attack, but some of their behaviors, like where do they get their information? How do they like to receive their information? What questions do they have at that stage of the process? All of those right. are very strategic questions. So if you start there, then you can start to formulate your content strategy along the buyer's journey. And I'll give you a quick example. If I'm selling to technical people, I know that they like a lot of data, right? It's just who they are. If you do a disk profile, this would be the C person on the disk profile. They like a lot of data. So if I understand that, then I'm going to answer their most commonly asked questions early on there, but I'm going to do it in a written format, perhaps some charts and graphs, right? Uh, a free report, an ebook works nicely. But now let's say I'm selling to sales managers, right? I want to sell them a new piece of sales software, let's say. Sales managers, life of the party, you go in their office, you got the beautiful Marlin that they caught down off the coast of Florida. They got pictures of all their friends turned outwards to show everybody who they hang with. That's a different kind of person. That person is very... Um, attention deficit oriented, let's say. I would give them bursts of 
two minute videos that work well on their iPhones, right? So once again, like what I give them and what questions I'm answering and how I deliver it is all very strategic that kind of cascades down from the persona work that you do for your prospects. That's really good advice. You can literally go through each stage of the buyer journey and create a set of questions. Sales reps are great at uncovering this. If you don't know what questions your prospects are asking, pick up the phone and call them. That's always really good advice for marketers to hop on a phone with someone and say like, hey, I'm, you know, this is what I do. And I wanted to talk to you a little bit about, you know, your uh, decision-making process around this type of thing. Like, tell me what you're concerned about. Tell me what kind of questions you have. You can uncover a lot just by talking to uh, prospects along the way. But that, uh, the, the, the idea of questions and the stages of the buyer journey, is an excellent way to start deciding what content to create. And then to Eric's point, make sure you map it to the particular kind of style that they're interested in digesting content. And the other thing I would tell you too is, if our goal is to get our prospects to feel safe, and it 100% is, you know in the beginning, they're going to be extremely anxious. You know, think about the cybersecurity manager who reads, it's possible you've already been hacked. Like right away, they're the, the you know the the hairs on the back of their neck are going to stand up. They're going to be anxious. They're going to be thinking like, "Wow, if I'm already and if there's already someone in our network and I don't know about it, like that's a big problem." I, you know, I got okay. So, knowing how they feel also helps you create the right kind of content because you do want to get them emotionally connected to the company and the content. Uh, content. So, you know, they're going to be more anxious in the beginning. As they start to get educated, they should be less anxious. They should start to feel more smart. They should start to feel smarter about the decision they're going to make. They're going to have different questions because now they know a little bit more. You know, eventually, as you get them towards the end of the buyer journey, they should be very comfortable with you. They should, I dare I say, trust you and your ability to help them. Uh, and if you've done a really good job with that, the end of the buyer journey should be very smooth. There shouldn't be a lot of contractual issues and arguments about terms like they should be trusting you you should be trusting them and it should be like sure we can take care of that we're going to work together it sounds great let's get started um and again that's all part of the experience it's all part of the buyer journey it's all part of understanding where people are and how they make decisions and what kind of content are you using to help them with that before we go on to your favorite part of the show anything else you want to add well I guess it comes from a place of frustration, but I want it to be very constructive. Any of our viewers or listeners today, like stop with the random acts of marketing, right? Like what we talk about on what's wrong with revenue is always strategic. And I'm just, um, I guess, tired of seeing someone who has a website that has no conversion points, that has no strategy on how they tell their story, no emotionally connecting message, no content to drive home the fact why they're the obvious choice to do business with. If people would just make those simple changes, their results on their marketing program would go up exponentially. But because they don't either value it or don't understand it, they're like, ah, marketing, marketing, right? Uh, we have a website. We did it six years ago. Who cares? Those are the people that really should be aware that there's so much of, of a better strategy they can employ without spending money on advertising. And I would hope that people would really understand that strategy before tactics is a great way to live life. 
whether you have no strategy, whether it be in business or in love or in family or in play, if you have no strategy, I'm not sure you're having the best time. So in business, I just want to make sure that I expound upon the fact that if you just say, wait a minute, folks, we're jumping to the tactics. Let's take a few minutes to talk about strategy. Wait a minute. We're just creating random pieces of content. Let's talk about our personas. Where would they be at this time while we're creating this content? And how can we put it contextually on our website in the right spot? Please, please, please carve out some time for strategy conversations with your team. Yeah, let me put an excl exclamation point on this content conversation, and then we'll go into questions. In addition to what Eric said, obviously, I agree completely. You also, I think it's important also for your content to be somewhat provocative. And what I mean by that is, you know, like you're, you're going to look around at what your competitors are publishing and you're going to look around at what your competitors are saying. Don't just do what they're doing. Take a position, you know, stretch a little bit out of your comfort zone and say some things that maybe are a little thought provoking, maybe a little, like I said, provocative, you know, grab a, grab a position in the market and lean into it. The, the more bold you can be with your message and your story and your content, the, the more uh, disruptive a story you can tell, the more leads you're going to generate, the easier it's going to be to differentiate the company, the easier it's going to be to attract people to the business. Oh, I know you guys, you guys are the ones that are saying so-and-so like, yep, that's us, right? Like, you know, uh, it's not easy, but it's something that you really need to consider as part of your content strategy. How are we going to get attention in our market? What do we have to say? Who do we have to tweak? Uh, what position do we need to take that's going to get us the attention we're looking for? Okay, here we go. This is from Derek in Sarasota, Florida. Can you talk about why your buyer journey model has more stages than some of the others I've seen? I know you got an answer for this. Sure. The uh, original model of the traditional sales funnel, top of funnel, middle funnel, bottom funnel, was actually invented in 1890. Look it up. 1890. You think people buy today the same way they bought in 1890? No. There's so many different places to get information on a purchase. You have 700 cable channels. You have social media platforms. We have the internet. We get all these websites that you could go to. Of course, things are changing. And because of that, buyer behavior has changed as well to match up with all these different ways that you're getting information. Oh, did I tell you the part where your brother-in-law tells you you should do a completely different strategy at dinner on Saturday night? Like we just didn't have these kinds of opportunities before. So our stages are a bit more granular, not because we say so, but because when you observe how someone buys something, you see these stages they're going through. And it's not just step one, step two, step three, step four. It's step one, step two, back to one, pause. Then I'm jumping to three, now four, back to two again. Oh, I, they said the right thing. I had an amazing piece of content. I'm right at eight. And that's the way people are buying. So, you know, cyclonic, is not only circular, but the word cyclonic means a lot of like turbulence and uh, Dorothy and the dog spinning through the air and the house lifting up. Like that's the way people feel when they have to make a hundred thousand dollar software purchase. They're scared. They're confused. They're 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 talking to everybody, and that's why we have so many stages. Now, the the benefit of having more stages is that you could break it into more pieces and have more definitive uh, opportunities at eight stages and not just three. While it is more work, it'll be more effective because you're in a more granular way. 
Who's to say that people wake up, they do the top of funnel, middle funnel, bottom, and by the end of the day, they bought a million dollar piece of software. It just doesn't work that way, right? You have more people on the committee, more people having conversations around this, more people scared to make the wrong decision. And that's why you have to look at it in, uh, as we say, eight stages and not three. Yeah, we look, there's lots of different buyer journey models out there, right? Eric talked about kind of the traditional linear funnel model. You know, HubSpot has their flywheel model. You know, everybody's buyer journey has a slightly different objective. You know, um, HubSpot's flywheel is designed to support their marketing sales and customer service software. So it makes sense to have three stages of their buyer journey aligned to their three different types of software products. But when you're trying to create this experience that we've been talking about, you need to go to a more granular model. And, and that's why we have eight stages, because there is a difference between the person that is unaware of you, but perfectly targeted. There is a difference between the person who's perfectly targeted and just casually aware that they might be interested in something. And then there's a difference about the person who is actively trying to get educated around a set of solutions. And then there's even another difference between that person that has narrowed down their options. And they're now considering, you know, a couple of choices as opposed to every potential solution to this particular problem. And then the person that is evaluating three similar choices. That's a different set of motions. They need a different set of content. They need different conversations with sales. And you can go through each stage of the our buyer journey and look at what those differences are and really create a set of uh, content plans and, and conversational outreach and touches that will create this amazing experience. And, and I, I hate to say it, but there are very few people who really do all of that hard work across the entire buyer journey. A, it takes a certain amount of budget. B, it takes a certain amount of um, commitment and patience to getting all that done and understanding of why it's important. But when you do finish all of that, you really do end up with an unbelievable set of marketing, sales, and even service-related tactics that have a significant impact on your business. Dare I even say that is what you need to really aggressively grow your company. And if any of that is missing along the way, your, your program's just not gonna perform as nicely as it would as if you had all that. So Derek, that's why our buyer journey model has more stages because we're specifically using it to identify what marketing sales and service related touches and tactics are needed for our clients. Well said, Mike. Okay, I got a question from Mo in Hawaii. I want to create a multimedia content experience that runs from click to close. Look at this. Mo is your guy, Eric. Yep, click to close. Can you Love give it. me can you give me some tangible examples? of what types of content might be part of the full experience? I can't, because I don't know Mo's target market. And if I did, then I would have a very informed answer because if he's selling to homeowners, it's completely different than if he's selling to CIOs of uh, enterprise level companies, right? However, I will say that the mix of a variety of different media is going to be more effective simply because we don't exactly know how everybody likes to receive their content. 
So in the beginning of the journey, uh, some videos, some white papers and tip sheets, middle of the journey, some uh, webinars, perhaps some uh, interactive kind of things. End of the journey, like we said, three ideas in three minutes, right? Like we could have a live session, ask me anything, all those kinds of things. So, you know, a mix of media works great. And you've already identified that, Mo, that you want a mixed media presentation. Now, even if we decided to lean into the strategy and do all that work, we still don't know the answer because you got to put it into play and start getting some data around that to see what's working and what's not. You might think you have the best video in the world and then nobody watches it or some people start to watch it and after 30 seconds, they turn it off, right? Those are very, very important metrics that we have to continuously analyze to know that people are progressing through the entire buyer's journey. So just to have the data, uh, sorry, just to have the content's not enough. Got to analyze it, tweak it. Mike, I would say on a regular basis, we're changing titles of free reports. We are uh, changing headlines on landing pages because we're just trying to squeeze out as much efficiency as we can get based upon the data that uh, is presented to us. Yeah, um, Mo, I'll give you an example of just like a an ABM campaign in the pre-awareness stage because that is kind of an, an interesting microcosm of what you're talking about. You know, a lot of people who run ABM campaigns buy lists, they, they buy names or they buy email addresses and they put together a couple of uh, emails and they start sending to those people and they consider that an account-based marketing campaign. So I would say that that is not an ABM campaign. That is a cold outreach email campaign. And the difference is if you're really going to go after targeted people, then you have to connect with them on a one-to-one -one level. And the best way really to do that is on social with very short social messages that are very targeted to their individual industry or their individual role or their individual pain that gets them to want to engage with you. So you may need a larger piece of content to tease them, but you need a very short little bite-sized social message that gets their attention, gets you connected, and gives you the permission to share something of more substance with them. And once they do turn over that email address to you so they could get your free report or whatever that bigger piece of content is, now you have an engaged contact. Now you have someone who is interested in what you have to say and you can continue to nurture them with additional content and additional offers to kind of pull them along their buyer journey. So you know, now you're talking about short social messages, you're talking about very personalized content, you're talking about a larger, highly personalized piece of content that they would be interested enough to kind of come out of the wilderness and say like, yeah, I want that. Um, and to Eric's point, it's very likely that even when you roll out th that set of content for that one stage, it's going to need some tweaking. Hey, you know, we're having some trouble getting uh, people connected with our message on LinkedIn. Okay, great. Let's adjust it. Okay, well, the new message is working much better. Great. We're having some trouble getting people to want our content. Okay, let's make the content more interesting by changing the title. Now you get more people asking for the content. You get more email addresses. That process is what we're talking about. And that is one of the eight stages of the buyer journey. So you, you can see by our description how complex it is and how organized and thoughtful and data-driven you have to be to really get this to work. Um, and that's just one stage. You can look at every single stage and have a similar type of conversation around what type of multimedia content is needed and then what some of those tests and experiments might be to see really what creates the best 
experience. So Mo, sorry, we can't give you like a packaged answer, but Eric's right. It depends on who you're going after. And I'm going to tell you, it's going to take some trial and error to really dial that in. All right, Eric, I got a question from Donna in Santa Fe, New Mexico. What types of increases in conversions, leads, shortened sales cycle, increased close rates have you seen at clients who have gone all in on this idea? Want me to tackle that? Yeah, I think it's better for you because I, you know, I throw them over the fence and then you yeah. ask. Yeah, it's a really good question, Donna. It's like really like the, the right question to be asking. So, you know, in terms of conversions, you know, you could see potentially a double uh, in your conversion rate, right? So if you're currently getting 1% site-wide on all your content, all your offers, you know, you could potentially looking at a 2% or higher, right? I'm, I would say 2% is probably a conservative estimate, which would basically double the amount of leads you're getting, the amount of marketing qualified leads you're getting. Um, you may even see a increase in the percentage of those marketing qualified leads that are sales qualified leads. Because again, if you upgrade your late stage buyer journey content, like Eric and I talked about earlier, you're not going to necessarily be getting people who are simply looking for a quote, but people who want to talk to you about what you do and how you can help them. So um, you're now impacting a couple of stages uh, down downstream from you know that, uh, that original visit and that original conversion. Uh, if your sales content is good, you are going to be able to shorten the sales cycle. Like for instance, we, we've told you a number of times that the reference reel video can knock off two weeks in a sales cycle when you're waiting for references to get checked. So if you have a two month sales cycle and you can cut two weeks off of it, you just shared, sheared off 20% of your sales cycle. More, less? 25%. 25%. Okay, good. 25% of your sales process, you know, because you, you don't have to wait for those references anymore. So you think about the impact of, of having a six-week sales cycle instead of an eight-week eight sales cycle all year long. Like all that revenue is going to get pushed forward simply because you have a really solid late-stage buyer journey offer that, that has major impact on your sales process. And um, it's going to imp impact your close rate also because they're going to feel safer earlier. They're going to want to do business with you more frequently. Again, if you have a 15% close rate and you take that to 30% close rate, you've doubled the amount of revenue from all of those proposals and agreements that you've submitted. And when you combine all of those metrics together, the compounding factor is, uh, you know, unmeasurable, right? The math is too complicated for my small brain to tell you exactly what the impact would be here, but it's significant. And that is really the secret to what we do, getting all of those conversion rates up and uh, using content to drive all of those experiences in a way that produces results at every stage of the buyer journey. Want to add anything, Eric? Uh, the compounding is also very interesting, right? And, and I, uh, I was just giving you an example recently. If you just drove your conversion rate up from one to 2% site-wide conversion rate, then you would double the amount of contacts you converted. Don't worry about anything else and then lean into the end of the journey and get your close rate up from 20 to 30%. You now have twice as many leads to close 10% faster if you just attack those two areas. Forget about things like S uh, MQL to SQL, or sales opportunities to close, deal. none of that. Just a couple of little things compound that can really move the needle.
Yeah, 100%. Okay, Remy in Tallahassee, Florida wants to know, how often do you sunset content or replace old content with new content? And what about updated, older, outdated content with an updated version of the same content? You understand her question? Sure do. What's Thank going you. on behind you? That's you. inappropriate attire for the uh, <laughs> show well, here. <laughs> we're trying to get better ratings. Uh-oh, something's happening. Where's it closing? <laughs> I think that it's an ongoing exercise to review and enhance content. And that too many people just let it lay. And you know what? We're, we're guilty of it too, Mike. We have so much content on our website that we um, are, it's almost an impossible uh, task to really uh, keep on top of it. But you have data. Go to your HubSpot reports and see which things are performing and which aren't, and then prioritize those for constantly sw uh, swapping them out. Now, some things might be dated, but other things just might be non-performing. I would start with the non-performing because the non-performing, a tweak in the uh, title of the piece of content, a tweak in the, hey, we took this white paper, we just converted it to a video, and now it's off the wall response-wise. When it's talking about you know, uh, uh, outdated stuff, then that takes a hard look of like what's current and we have to rewrite the whole thing. But uh, the data is right there at your fingertips for most pieces of content. If you've attributed it correctly in your reporting, that's when you can start to really uh, do it. So we do it all the time, or I should say, we do it all the time as resources are available. Yeah, it's, a, it's exactly the right uh, answer. Like if you have underperforming content and you've tried some of the experiments Eric's mentioning, I would just replace it with something else. If you have a piece of content that's performing and it's just old, then you want to do a new version of it, right? Because obviously people like it, but it's been a while since you updated it. You want it to be accurate and reflect current thinking. So just update it, republish it, um, and off you go. So I think this is probably an easier answer, Rami, than maybe you were expecting. But, you know, if stuff's not working and you have tried to make it work, it, there's nothing wrong with sunsetting it and replacing it with something else, trying something completely different. Um, we've recently started trying to publish uh, um, playbooks and templates that kind of share some of our methodology with clients uh, as an experiment to see whether they're actually interested in, you know, learning how we do things a little bit behind the scenes kind of stuff. So instead of giving them tips and techniques of what they should be thinking about, we're actually sharing some of our proprietary methodology. I think it'll do pretty good, but I won't really know until we publish it and we see whether it outperforms what it replaced, which was some of that older, more um, common kinds of content. Again, we're trying to publish some things that not every agency publishes, like a little bit of behind the scenes at score two. Um, a lot of agencies publish kind of like general educational content. We want to see how it works. So the testing and the experiment is really uh, is really important in making some of these decisions. Right. But remember, the why behind we're creating that is because people have pain. They don't know how to do it themselves. Let's give them a piece of content that'll help them make that pain go away while positioning us as the thought leader and trusted advisor. Right. And again, not to be too transparent, but, you know, I would expect that when they look at what some of the things we do and and what goes into some of the work we do for clients, they're going to realize like, this is a lot more than I was expecting. This is a lot more than maybe we're capable of doing. You know, perhaps we really do need to bring somebody in to help us do this right, because what they're saying here makes a lot of sense. And it's a little bit beyond our capabilities. And yeah, that's exactly how you want them to feel. Exactly. And I don't think we should feel sheepish about that. That's no. Yes, 100%. It is. 
Okay, Connor in New York City wants to know, how would you recommend we consider creating this content? Uh, having subject matter experts write it, having a trained writer write it, using an agency, you gotta, uh, I'm sure you get asked this question a lot. What, what, what would you say to Connor? Well, your subject matter experts are not writers. They're experts in their subject. And I've seen it so many times where they uh, somebody asks their team to write the content, two things happen. One, the team does not want to write content because they were hired to be an accountant, not to be a copywriter. Number two is the accountant does not know how to write for response. Typically, when you're creating a piece of content, you're trying to poke it at emotion to get someone to say, hey, I, I want to talk to you guys. What typically happens when the subject matter experts are writing the content is they're writing technical things, which don't pluck at emotions. They don't move people through the buyer's journey. They do give valuable and accurate information, but not, uh, oh, that's really great. I learned about that. Now what, right? So I would recommend that if you're writing a piece of content, go and get someone to help you. Hire an internal copywriter. Have a content development firm. Get a part-time editor to then who's savvy in business writing to edit what your subject matter experts are writing to make it more appropriate for a marketing or sales piece of content and not a technical piece of content. So I think that unless your business is copywriting, unless your business is creation of content, then you need some outside help. And I don't mean spend a lot of money. I just mean you need outside help to make sure that you're doing the right thing. Yeah. And also like uh, Connor, your question is very, um, uh, piece specific, right? You're asking about, you know, who should write it, right? Like, don't think about this content exercise as one and done. Really what you should be asking is how do we create content at scale? Because you need to create a lot of content over a long period of time. And like we said, it has to cover all stages of the buyer journey. So this is not something that like people who have full-time jobs are really going to be stepping up to do because they have full-time jobs and this in and of itself is a full-time job. So to Eric's point, I think you need somebody whose job it is to write, uh, produce content, um, to publish content, to um, decide what content needs to be created and to maybe even help with the strategy a little bit about what content needs to be created. And if you're not going to hire somebody Get an agency that can help you with it because this is a it's a long-term investment in lead gen. It's a long-term investment in that experience. You know, sales is going to have content requirements, marketing is going to have content requirements, customer service reps have content requirements. Like if someone is calling the customer service team and asking the same question every day, put a video together that answers that question, put it on your website and direct people there, right? Like there are ways to deal with this kind of thing that content checks the, a lot of boxes around uh, answering questions and, and giving people a really good experience. So Connor, try not to think about it as, hey, I have this blog article I need written, but how do I write three blog articles a week? How do I create two videos a month? How do I create one long form piece of content a month? How do I create six social posts from that content every single week? Like that's the content exercise you're trying to execute on. And I don't think having subject matter experts or people who have full-time jobs are really going to be able to do the kind of content lift we're talking about here. Agreed. All right. I got a question uh, from Bucky in Madison, Wisconsin. 
What about video? Do Wait a we minute. Scr- not the Bucky from Madison, Wisconsin? Well, I don't know. Have you, you, I think you know Bucky from Madison, Wisconsin, don't you? I have partied with Bucky from Madison. <laughs> you have. Um, what about video? Do we script it, shoot it, edit it? Um, look, uh, the answer to that is going to be similar, right? Like, what do you know about video? Like, if you have someone that that has time to really lean into video then yeah, you can do it yourself. Like it's the same exercise. Like what question are we answering? You know, what, what's the content going to look like? Shoot the video. We, we have a, we have tons of resources on square2.com about video. So we don't need to go into it here. Script it. Yeah. You got to script it to some extent to make sure people are comfortable with it. I wouldn't say people read the script, but they understand what the salient points are and they can kind of go through it and talk casually about it. Remember, we're talking about very short videos here. We're not really talking about hour-long productions. We're talking about a video that's one to three minutes. So, you know, most people should be able to talk about a specific topic for that amount of time. Shoot it. If you know how to edit it, edit it. And again, like you probably are going to need to create video at scale. So if you have someone that can do it because they're not doing anything else, great. If you don't, get someone to help you. An agency, a video freelancer. There are there are a lot of video production companies now that specialize in this kind of marketing related videos. Um, uh, very easy to find them, very easy to get uh, referred to them. Um, and almost every single agency I know has video services like this because we produce a lot of video content for our clients. So Bucky, same uh, answer really. Don't think about a single video. Think about how you can create three videos a week. Okay, Nigel from the UK, uh, how does an agency or freelancer get up to speed on our company so they can actually produce good quality content? We've struggled with this in the past. This is a really good question. We hear this very frequently. What is your advice to Nigel? Well, back to my uh, dissertation earlier about strategy before tactics. If you're doing that, then Nigel just has to access your strategy documents, right? who's our perfect clients in all of our different markets, what pains and problems they have, what solutions does our company provide? How do we do it in such a remarkable way? What's the big story? What's our rallying cry? What's our vision of where we're going? What's our mission? Hand that to your person. They should be able to glean that. Oh, oh, you don't have that information? Well, that could be a project before you go down to the tactical level of what you're trying to accomplish here. So I think that you know, um, and, and and I don't want to be absolute. Lots of times people will be like, oh yeah, we've worked on our personas and they send it over and it's 60, 70% of what we need. We kind of blow it out a little bit more intensely because we need certain things to do our jobs. But people do have some semblance of this. But I mean, once again, if you and your leadership team spend the time really going deep on strategy, then anybody that comes in that wants to know how to position your company should just be able to absorb those documents and go. Yeah, I'm going to drop a knowledge bomb on you, Nigel. Here you go. You ready? You know why you're having such a problem with this? Because you're looking at your uh, writing team as, as writers. And what I mean by that is you're not including them in any of the strategic conversations. You're just basically saying, to them, hey, I need this blog written. Here's the title. When can I have it back? And how much is it going to be? You know, like, oh, I need this white paper. Here, here's the title we want to write. Here, here are a couple of bullet points. Here's a couple of um, uh, websites to take a look at. When, when is this going to be done and how? what's the cheapest I can have it for? When you don't include your content people in the strategic conversations Eric's talking about, they don't know how to position your content. They don't know what your story is. They don't know how to answer those questions in a way that positions your company as the solution. 
So, you know, you, you have to kind of break down that barrier for those people who are helping you with content, bring them into your company's strategy conversations. Like at Square Two, we invest a lot of money in having writers sit through strategic conversations for weeks sometimes with clients. So they get intimate with how the clients talk about their business and they know the difference between the CEO's perspective and the CMO's perspective and the ops people's perspective on how they solve problems for clients. It's, it's a very nuanced conversation and they're exposed to that. So when it comes time to creating content, they, they can write just as well or better than the actual company can because A, they're writers, and B, they've been exposed to all of those interesting strategic conversations that most people really never get to hear. So that's probably what's holding you back, Nigel, and why you've had a problem with this in the past. Yes, it's going to cost you more money because you're going to have to pay for those people to sit through strategy conversations, or you're going to have to pay to brief them more uh, comprehensively around the strategy. Uh, but that's going to produce much better content that is going to produce much better results. Sage advice. Great. We have time for one more, Eric. So let's see. Um, uh, uncovering uh, important SEO. Um, okay. Well, eh, I don't know. That's a little self-serving. How about this one? Um, what about uncovering ideas for new content? Where do these come from? This is from Scott in Oakland. So this is kind of interesting because it's hard to sustain a content program, right? Like where should he be looking for new ideas for new content? Well, here's something that Scott from Oakland might want to consider, and it's called reading the tea leaves. Get your whole team that's uh, client facing involved in this exercise. When I'm talking about reading the tea leaves, it's that as you're talking to clients and prospects, take notes on some of the things they're asking for, worried about, and so forth, and bring them back to the team. Lay them all out on the table in a whole bunch of post-it notes or three by five cards. Those are the tea leaves. And then start to sort them. See if there's themes that people are asking about. To see if there's um, uh, some clusters that are uh, forming about topics that maybe you haven't written for, or maybe you just touched lightly in the past and now people are really interested in. And by continuously putting together a program and bringing back uh, uh, information from the field, it's then informing the content team that this is what people are talking about or interested in hearing about. Let's do some content. We once had a, a client, God, years ago that introduced us to the concept of blockchain. Do you remember, Mike? Yes. And they were a logistics company, but all of a sudden people were asking about blockchain, talking about blockchain and so forth. So we're like, what's blockchain? They explained it to us like, wow, that's really fascinating. Let's do a whole group of content around blockchain. And they were one of the first to come out with some serious thought leadership around blockchain. That only was caused because people were bringing that from the field. Yeah, I mean, that's really the, the best way to look for this. And you're, you're gonna, you know, once you start looking for these questions and these things that are coming up that you maybe don't have answers to or don't have content for, this kind of presents itself to you. Like I'm more or less responsible for most of the content at Square Two. And it becomes really quite apparent when we're having a lot of conversations around lead nurturing or lead scoring, or we're having a lot of conversations about maybe some of the newer SEO techniques. Like those are indications that we need some content to support those current conversations that maybe are different than the conversations we had a year or so ago around those same topics. So again, just pay a little closer attention to what people are talking about and where you have missing supporting content. And I think your question will uh, get answered quite productively. Awesome. Eric, thanks so much. Uh, boy, does the time fly. It's one of my favorite hours for the entire week. 
everybody, check out the show on YouTube. We have a Square Two Marketing channel. You can like us. You can subscribe to the show. You can leave comments. Our All of the What's Wrong with Revenue shows are posted to our YouTube channel. Uh, if you're interested in audio and video content, you can go to Square Two Plus on the Square Two Marketing website, square2marketing.com backslash square to P-L-U-S. If you like podcasts, check out the show on all your favorite podcast platforms, Podbean, Stitcher, iTunes, Apple. The show is available everywhere. You can subscribe to all of those podcasts on all those different platforms. And last but not least, if you want to ask questions, like a couple of our friends dropped questions in the chat today, you can go to the What's Wrong With Revenue uh, button at the bottom of our website. You can click on it, and there's a button to submit a question. All the questions we answered today got submitted that way. But honestly, that's the best way to get us to answer a question live on the show. Thanks, everybody, for joining us. Have a great rest of your day, and we'll see you next Wednesday. Bye-bye. <laughs>